0: I was living in a devil town I didn't know it was a devil town Oh, Lord, it really brings me down About the devil
1: town Welcome to the Devil's Junkie Podcast 5-3 and three edition. Uh, we are still nursing all of our injuries um, from that 37-32 loss at home against Washington State. Um, not really much to say about this game because this wasn't necessarily the ASU team that you would have expected to see take the field. So there was definitely some encouraging things that came uh, out of the game, especially the fact that it was competitive. Um, some discouraging things. Obviously, you know, a loss is a loss. Uh, but also, um, the, you're, you've reached a point now where you know, you've know, you used up a lot of the eligibility of this uh, last incoming class that came in. That can be argued that it's a good thing or a bad thing, and we'll get into that later. Uh, but ASU is 5-3, and and, and and let's jump into it. Uh, what were some of your initial thoughts just on, uh, on the game in general and what ASU was able to do against that Washington State squad, Brett? Well, I tell
2: you to look at the Sun Devils and see snaps taken by a lot of guys. Richard, Balazs, and Wilkin, or actually Sterling, Dylan Cole. It was it was interesting because if they're gonna do that the rest of the way, they're gonna have to get in more sync. It just seemed like they were not uh, as organized on offense, but yet they were able to put up some points. I, I think if it's going to work, and obviously that's what practice is for, but I'm not 100% sure if they can move forward with wins with having three guys take direct snaps so that's something I think we'll have to see
3: um Ralph me and you talked about this after the game and I still believe this um some days later um I've had a moment to digest it and think about it this is one of the best performances of the season all the way around I think Chip Lindsay called a great game considering what we had to work with like Brett said We had like 137 different people taking snaps. Everybody except for the person sitting in section like 213 (laughs) up in row seven took a snap from center. Um, On top of that, like our defense, we're missing so many pieces. And we held this Washington State team to 37. And while I know that kind of seems like a lot because it's like almost 40 points, um, we have some injuries.
2: And the defensive line line played well. And the defensive line played
3: amazing. Like. They were getting to the quarterback. They were making things happen. They were uh, disrupting everything that you wanted. Um, And, you know, we had Todd Graham be him after the game, have his moment.
1: We will get into that. fact, let's just do it right now. Let's let's do it right now. Uh, Todd Graham stays quiet after Mike Leach for the second year in a row, insinuates that Arizona State goes beyond what's allowed in order to Determine what the other team's signals are, and at least everyone in this room understands that, um, you know, first of all, signal stealing is a part of the game, and b, if you're not trying to do it, you are costing your team. If you're not trying to disguise your signals and you're not trying to determine the other team's signals, you are you are hurting your team, and I think we're all on the same page mm-hmm. with that. Yep. Um, but you are not allowed to record their sideline. You're not allowed to use technology of any kind, no microphones, nothing like that. And that's exactly what Mike Leach accused Todd Graham of doing. He was fined $10,000. Todd Graham stayed quiet about it. Uh, Ray Anderson definitely had Todd Graham's back in filing the grievance with the Pac-12. But after the game, you know, they came face-to-face, and Todd Graham used the word uh, bullshit, and he used the word chicken shit. And um, I don't necessarily personally think he was uh, incorrect. It's possible that he was out of line, but I don't think he was incorrect in his assessment of what Mike Leach did. And I think he, you know, the the Pac-12 determination of finding him $10,000, uh, you know, may, that's only like one two hundredth of his salary, <laughs> yes. but, you know, to most people that really matters. Uh, you know, that finding him that money, you know, the Pac-12 was also saying, like, hey, Mike, that was chicken shit. And so... People like Mike Leach because he's odd and he's off the wall and he's different. Um, But I feel like Todd Graham was put in a situation where Mike Leach said something inaccurate about Arizona State's program to the press. Mm -hmm. And Todd Graham took an opportunity to to correct the record face-to-face. And obviously the cameras picked it up. Todd Graham, after the game, didn't seem to realize that and said, you know, what I said to Mike Leach is going to stay between me and him. Uh, Meanwhile, all of Twitter's blowing up and everyone knows exactly what he said. It caused the usual Todd Graham-related backlash, you know. Pitt fans came from out of the woodwork um, to ignore the fact that the reason that Todd Graham was even there is because their coach, you know, beat his wife and they never would have had Todd Graham leave after a year. They wouldn't have ever had Todd Graham leave at all if they didn't have someone... Commit an act of domestic violence, uh, but they don't spend as much time mad at that guy as they do at Todd Graham. So you know that all the people came out of the woodwork to say the same stuff that we're used to people saying, and 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 Todd Graham's reputation um, and the connotation of who he is as a person was out there all week long. Uh, but just in this room, you know, I've already said that I pretty much agree with what he did. Maybe he shouldn't have done it, but I I, I agree that he at least needed to say something. Uh, What what did you guys think of that moment? Could it have been avoided? Could it have been done differently? Would you have taken it further? What do you think?
2: No, I think uh, Todd Graham showed what he's made of. I mean, I think if he wanted to, he would have even gone a little bit further. But they talked, or at least he gave Leach his opinion of what went on. And I think you just kind of have to leave it at that. I mean, Todd grahams uh, he's a fighter. He's not going to take any BS about him or his program and the fact that you go up to your opposition at midfield after a game, you let them know, and I'm all for that.
3: You know, stealing signals and stuff like that's like the American pastime in sports. Um, it's the game within the game, and you know, I, I've, I've heard some people say, you know, that you know, if you're not cheating, you're not trying, and stuff like that, and you know this is something so basic, trying to steal like snap counts just to get a a little bit of an edge. Dude, Todd Graham, like I'm gonna respect him forever Mm -hmm. for the way he conducts himself and handles himself. That he would do that right after the game. Did you see how fast Mike Leach ran Mm -hmm. the other way? Like he was gonna get beat up on national television. Like he was for real afraid that Todd Graham might escalate this into some celebrity fight or something like on the field. You know, this is a couple
2: years now that Leach has done this nonsense, and again, the fact that bet he's you been you don't fine, do it again. probably not. No, one, probably not. One, one of so I'm, I'm, that I applaud uh, I'm my general, Graham. I
3: bet you, you won't call me. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and one of the things that kind of escalates it for me is that before Mike Leach got on his teleconference, just before that, Todd Graham was complimenting the air raid as a system, Mm-hmm. And and Mike Leach's role as the architect of it, and called him the best at it. And so you know he's complimenting this guy, and then and Mike Leach follows it up with the comments that, that he says. And you know, I, I think that um, I think it's important for this team to know that you know Todd Graham is is going to defend them. Obviously the Pac-12 already stepped in. Todd mm-hmm. Graham didn't have to do anything there, uh, but he did. And ultimately, it's his team and his administration that. That they're the ones that need to know and pull together. Uh, but one of the, one of the criticisms that he got, and I want to I want to see how you guys feel about it, is that he only went there because they lost. Do you feel like that's the case, or do you think had the score been flipped and it was ASU 37, Washington State 32, you know, is Mike Leach still chicken shit?
2: Yeah, I think the score didn't matter. I think that Todd Graham, CTG as we like to call him, was going to say to Mike Leach what he said, whether they won or lost. I think that was, I think he's like, hey, you know what, I'm gonna let him know.
3: Yeah, Todd Graham. Th- that's his personality. Like, He's gonna let you know exactly how he feels, and he's not gonna hide it just because um, he's, I guess, smiling after a victory or whatever. Um, he was gonna, I think he had it in his mindset already, mm-hmm. like, not distracting him from the game, but I think he already had it in his mindset, like, man, after this game, I'm really gonna let Mike Leach know, like, you know, this is what I think about you. Like I had the utmost respect for you. He's t- he told him that too. Like, you know, and you know, I pr- I praise Todd Graham for the the way he conducts himself, and you know, I think you know his players respect him for that.
1: Let's get into let's get into this whole offensive, uh, I guess, system that they were able, <laughs> able to throw together. Um, I was thinking immediately after the game, I was taken back to that movie Apollo thirteen. Where the oxygen tank explodes inside the shuttle uh, and, you know, and uh, you have Clint Howard's character go over to Ed Harris and say, hey, we need to do something about this. And it gets put down to the engineers to come up with some way to sort of, like, jerry-rig this system back together. And what the head engineer says in in that scene reminded me a lot of just the overall offensive scheme for Arizona State. Because what he says is, you know, this is coming from higher up and we have to come through. We need to find a way to get this. And he holds up a box to go over the hole in this. And he holds up like a cylinder <laughs> using nothing but that. And it was just a bunch of junk on the table. And, uh, and they all get to work and they end up ultimately saving the day. Uh, but when, you know, you have Tim White go down after the initial kickoff return, you have Manny Wilkins, you know, lead a scoring drive and then go out out with an undisclosed injury uh, and then you end up with Jack Smith throwing a pass. I believe Fred yeah. Gamage helped on a two-point conversion mm-hmm, also sure to a pass. Kalen Village and Demario Richard took multiple snaps uh, and Dylan Sterling Cole uh, had about 16 pass attempts of his own. Well, one completion that ended up being probably a, a, a glimpse into what he's capable of mm-hmm. uh, in, in the future and a late completion to Nikhil Harry on a big third down. So, um, some of the stuff that they were doing, uh, you know, they had one late failed uh, play where they were going to pitch back to Jack Smith again and see what he could do, and, and it, it didn't end up working out. But, I mean, what they were able to do and piece together uh, was pretty wild considering they also were missing A.J. McCollum, starting center. We don't know what his deal is, but he wasn't at the game. Uh, they were missing Sam Jones, their starting guard. So in comes Stephen Miller, redshirt freshman <laughs> from Gilbert High School, uh, and in comes uh, Tyler McClure, he played, uh, yep. a center who turned down a full ride to NAU to walk on at ASU, and here he is four years later getting a chance. Um, what was your impression? I know, Chili, you you had said because of all that, it 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 impressed you maybe more than any of Arizona State's previous performances and Brett I get the feeling you're going to say you never want to be in that situation in the first place but let's say that they have to go into Oregon with that same makeshift Apollo 13 uh solution you know can, can they get the job done I don't know I
2: don't um I just feel when you have too many guys with the ball in their hand to start the play I don't think that you can be consistent I mean granted hey they scored 32 points the other night and really the difference was at least on paper the kick return that's what I'll point otherwise they we might be saying hey they won the game 32-30 I think they have to go to one guy I'd like to see really what DSC can do for a full game as a true quarterback and see all of his abilities. I'd like to see them air it out a little bit. I really think that's the direction they wanna go. Clearly we have not seen the running game, at least the way we thought it would be with the two backs and a shared amount of carries. So I think moving forward, you really gotta go with a quarterback.
3: You know, I actually think that, I like this approach, this chaos. We don't know what's gonna happen next. We don't know who's throwing the ball. Who knows who's taking the next snap. It could be Balazs, it could be Richard, it could be um, Jack Smith, you don't know what's going to happen. Hey, I go, I watch this offense operate, I watch Chip Lindsey and Todd Graham go to work, I don't know what to expect next. Hell, we're going to get seven sacks against Washington State. Like I said, if you throw the scores out just based on performance on the field, I would have taken taken this game's performance over any of them all season. They were strong. They were especially up front. Now
2: I will say this though, the tackling still has to be addressed. That's That's uh, been poor
3: every game though. No,
2: it had yeah. I'm not even saying necessarily about the performance in general, but moving forward, the tackling has to improve otherwise they're going to be on the wrong end of some high-scoring battles.
1: And so let's let's look at this defense because This was a little bit closer to the defense that we saw last year. And it almost makes, you know, this was the return of 2015 DJ Calhoun, who was blitzing up the middle, Uh, and then Karan Crump off the edge. I mean, the guy has eight sacks already. He's leading Uh the entire team. Um, The defensive line did well. Salamo Fiso got hurt late. Uh, But the defensive line did well. This is still a defensive line that not one single member of the true defensive line actually has more than one sack, which is an issue. Um, you know, we and we didn't see too much from JoJo Wicker on Saturday, but we did see uh, them. We did see the defensive line create some pressure and the uh, and free rushers get to the quarterback over and over again. I think Luke Falk was sacked seven times. Seven, yep. he was having trouble getting up uh, as the game progressed, and he kept getting up, which is you know greatly increased my respect for for him as a player. Um, but you know, no Armand Perry, no Christian Sam. And you're left with players that are, are typically, you know, um, role players that or helps. haven't grown into their own yet. Malik Lawal, uh Chad Adams, guys like that. Um, you're back depending on Gump Hayes again uh, at the corner position, and, and and this is a team that played pretty well. I mean, without that kick return, uh, and and without essentially a, a late um, incredible job by Gabe Marks of of burning a not-completely-healthy Kareem Moore, then mm-hmm. stiff-arming him on the way into the end zone. You know, other than that, Gabe Marks did not have a great game. Correct. Um, but, you know, the, this defense, you know, this is a defense that outside of that kick return, which you don't usually expect Zane to, you know, right. to not kick it through the, the back of the end zone, they, they could have really given up 30 points, like you said, and, and against a Washington State team that's um, been able to move the ball well and a, a much-maligned defensive secondary for ASU. I think this was a solid performance. I think Chili's right. What do you think about that, Brett?
2: Yeah, no, they played well. I was very... Uh, this was one of the first times where I was... I'm, I'm going to say excited, and that's maybe not the best word, but they. I was curious to see what they would do against an unbeaten Pac-12 team, and they were very gamely. They were, in my mind, never out of it. I mean, Washington State sort of... They wrestled control away, especially after the kickoff return. But no, I, I think if you're a Sun Devil, you should have your head held up high. There's, um, there's reasons for optimism. And I, I think they can, um, if they fix a couple of things, and I'm, not so, I'm still not sure about the offense moving forward. And it's, a sh- it's weird. Five and three, and you're down to your fourth-string quarterback. I don't think any one of us would have necessarily thought that. So they're still in a good position.
3: If, if we would have said that Dylan Sterling Coles and be starting games midway through the season, I think most of us would have expected that this team was one and four or oh and five or something um, that this team is five and three and you know he's starting games due to injuries um, we burns his red shirt due to injuries I think the I think we should be more optimistic about the season on the on the whole and um, the future of this Sun program.
2: Now I think you're right. The future, I think, is extremely bright. How they finish up this season, I still think, is somewhat in question. But, yeah, they're performing well with a lot of key underclassmen. I mean, we haven't seen Nikhil Harry break out the way we know he will. We're dealing with freshman quarterbacks who are going to
1: be on campus in three, four years from now still. That's the one of the interesting things I want to get into about this year is all the people who are playing that we thought you know wouldn't necessarily play. We don't want to give Dylan Sterling Cole too much credit and Chip Lindsey's offense too much credit because obviously they scored seven with Manny behind quarterback. They scored seven on a punt return. This is an offense that manufactured 18 points against you know against Washington State, but they did so running just an absolutely bizarre scheme. Um, of, of essentially running backs performing the role of quarterback and then when you absolutely needed a quarterback to play quarterback, you're playing a true freshman. And so um, a, a true freshman or a, tr- a true freshman late edition mm-hmm. son of a baseball coach yeah. <laughs> wide receiver and safety convert back to his high school role. Yes. you know. And so this is uh, just a bizarre but that, let's, let's get into that. We did not think Dylan Sterling Cole was going to play this year. He has obviously had to play a very large role. We did not think that Jack Smith would play for maybe several years. Correct. And not only is he playing. He's throwing passes. Yeah, he's practicing like with second team in, in practice. Uh, he's had to learn the playbook of a receiver. Came in thinking he was going to be a safety. He's had to actually throw passes. Um, I would say that we probably did not expect to see walk-on Tyler McClure starting games or see Steven Miller this early. Um, I would say that we didn't expect to see wide receiver Kyle Williams uh, appear in seven games. Um, The really late addition to ASU's recruiting class was the Texas JUCO uh, Dion Gwynard, who had no other offers. And if you watch that Tim White punt return back, Dion pancakes two guys 50 yards apart on that return. So. You know, this is a guy that had four years to play three, and all of a sudden his red shirt's burn. Alex Lasoya was a late addition on the offensive line. He's been in a game. And so, you know, you have all of these guys. Uh, A.J. McCollum, the late junior college addition, has started a few games at center. This recruiting class that a lot of people kind of thought was a down class has ended up playing a very large role on this team. Is that a problem? or is that good for the future?
3: I, th- I think it's good for the future. Yeah. Um, you know, it's gonna get them experience. They're being thrown in the fire when mm-hmm. games matter because like their, their bowl future isn't secured by any means. They still have to get another win. Sure, so, oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I, I love it. I love what's going on right now. This Washington State game kind of has me a little excited even though it was a loss. I hate to take some, I am not one to take anything from a loss, you lost, but. think a lot can be taken from this one. A
2: lot of key contributions as you said Ralph. So I mean what I'll say we can judge or at least I like to judge a class really by their full contribution and obviously they've all got two years left or in some cases four years left but what we're seeing is that they can play at this level and I think that is fantastic for the future. Who knows like we said what's going to happen the rest of this year but I think they are well set up, whether you're a junior college guy coming in who can still play next year, or some of the four-year guys like Nikhil Harry, who may not be around for four years, but
1: they're true freshmen. I think this this is nice. It's it's definitely interesting to me. I don't I don't know if it's really a good thing or a bad thing. I know that, you know, you you have um, you know, your transfer from Texas is is getting a lot of reps. You have Mo Chandler getting reps, you have Jamarcus Rhodes getting reps. You, you really have almost all of your Juco guys outside of maybe, you know, a, a, a Tyson rising, um, really at least competing to, to play. And you have some of your guys that you thought would really step up this year not getting in. Like Jalen Bates is someone who, you know, unanimously among pundits and people who cover this team, expect to really contribute on the defensive line. And this is a guy that's only appeared in two games. Uh, you have Jason Lewis you know, the big running back who they probably could have used his efforts. You know, you have him practicing with the defense this weekend. So <laughs> it's it's really, really interesting um, that some of the more elite, higher-end prospects that have been here a couple of years aren't getting in games, and some of the throwaways that people on the Devil's Digest message board maybe thought that we shouldn't have even had in this class. I know that we talked extensively about, you know, maybe Jack Smith, maybe mm-hmm. shouldn't have been somebody that they took a chance on there at the end. Um, over a guy, field. Yeah. we we talked specifically about Kyler Burke, who's actually playing down at, at U of A as a walk on freshman, you know. But then you end up using Jack Smith, and he gets you a, his first ever pass as a forty yard game. So, you know, it, it's definitely interesting. And like you said, we you, we're not really going to know if it's good or bad, uh, and until later. But I I'm certainly surprised that they're using some of the players that they've used. Uh, let's get on to two and five Oregon. This is not a good team. This is not a team that has recruited well. This is a team whose coach is probably on the hot seat. Um, They've been hearing that in the news quite a bit, so you'd have to think that if they have any pride, they're really going to get up for this game at Autzen Stadium. Uh, This is Adidas' flagship on the West Coast versus Nike's (laughs) flagship in the U.S., so the uniforms should be pretty wild. Uh, what, what are you guys anticipating? What do you think is going to happen in this game?
2: I think it's going to be a, uh, a crazy game. Argon has nothing to lose. They're 2-5. They're and five. They're winless in the Pac-12. This obviously is not the Ducks team of old. And outside of Ross Freeman, excuse me, Roy, yeah, Royce Freeman, they don't have those big-time playmakers that we're used to having. They're starting a true freshman at quarterback I think ASU, and I know we're not at the prediction stage yet, but I think the Sun Devils can comfortably go in and execute a game plan and come out victorious. I mean, you got to prepare, but I don't see them being overmatched in any facet of this one.
3: I'm excited to see some of these local boys get in for Oregon. Um, that's for sure. I know they got the kid from, I think it's Thunderbird?
1: Kenai uh, Benoit. Yeah. yeah.
3: And uh, I know they got Jalen Brown from Mountain Point. He started
1: his very first game last week. Right?
3: So um, I'm excited to see them, but I think that this is a perfect setup for what ASU is going through right now. Uh This is a Oregon team that's dropped like their last five or something Uh like that. And um, you know, I don't know how to do the common opponent thing because they lost to Colorado close. We got blown out by Colorado. They got blown out by Washington State and we played Washington State close with this um, duct tape squad. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm not quite sure what to expect, but I feel like a team like Oregon is coming at the right time mm-hmm. on the yeah, yeah, Definitely is. We, we, we need, we need- They needed a breather. They need, so a breather. they need a breather. We need somebody that's going through a little struggle. Um, you know, I don't know about coaching hot seats or anything. I know that that guy gets paid very, very well, so.
1: I'd really like to see like them Like Tom it up. Graham says, they're not going to pay a million a year to win half your games. Right. Obviously, these guys make a lot more than a million a year, so uh, that, that they're probably not loving that they're 2-5 and five right now. I'd like to see them open it up. I think whatever
2: game plan they decide to use, as long as they stick to it, and again, ASU has just been decimated with injuries consistently, but... I don't see this game being a problem. As we've said this is what they need. They need a team that is down as opposed to a tough Washington State team, a gamely UCLA team, that sort of thing.
3: And I don't think that this I don't, I don't think that this Oregon State or this Oregon team is gonna come out inspired. And I don't know that I don't know if it's the poor recruiting, um, if it's just Hellfreak is the problem, but I know that, you know, I feel like he's securing his job. I feel like he's he's got this attitude of like, oh, I'll be here for a minute because y'all gotta pay me 12 million to get out of here. You know, like his buyout is huge. So I feel like he's just going to go through the motions and you know, just see what happens. And it's perfect setup for ASU. This is this is it right here. Let's, let's see, you know, how, how, how it all works out.
1: Now, ASU's lost nine in a row to Oregon. If they snap this streak, but they snap it against a team that would ultimately be two and six if they lost. Is it the same? I mean, does it really feel like you broke that streak, or it does? Okay, I think it does because
2: anytime you go on the road and get that W, especially up north, that
1: certainly counts for something. Now we're probably going to see Manny see if he can give it a go again. Um, but you had said, Brett, if if Manny can't uh, make it through a couple of series. Um, that you would rather see them stick with Dylan Sterling Cole than maybe hit the Sparky formation heavily? Would you still feel that way even though this game's on the road in Austin? I would. I really, I'm as a fan, I'm anxious to
2: see what DSC is really made of and I also think that they, they have to yeah, it's going to be a crazy environment. Road games up in Eugene are always tough, but if they set up a nice game plan for him, a nice mix of run and pass, and I'd like to see him go deep. I think if he's in there for, let's say, three quarters of the game, yeah, I still think they come out with a win.
1: I'm not necessarily sure this game's important for recruiting or not. I think ASU's still really on the guys that they're on and waiting to see you know the, the decisions that they make. Um, i posted something on devil's digest that if you're interested in local recruiting uh, everybody that they've uh, gotten in 2017 everybody that they've offered and they're still competing for people they still might offer as well as the cream of the crop of the 2018 class you should check that out also if you are on devil's digest uh, if you're not definitely join we'd love to chat with you but if you're on there you also might learn a little bit of information on a quarterback that they're kicking the tires on uh, that is outside of the four they have on the roster, well, four and a half if you count Jack Smith, sure, as yes. well as you know, incoming Ryan Kelly. And it's a pretty big name, that was so you're going to want to Great check information, out. actually, you're right. Um, but, uh, Brett, I think that after the Washington State game, you had the privilege of, of conducting a pretty interesting interview. Why don't you tell us about it?
2: Absolutely. Anthony Heron and Roxy Bernstein called the game on the Pac-12 Networks, and Anthony Heron was the analyst for that game, and he really gave us a good insight on the whole offensive snap situation and what ASU could have done to possibly win that game.
1: All right, let's hear from Anthony Heron.
2: I'm here with Anthony Heron who just called the game for the Pac-12 Network. Final Washington State 37, ASU 32. The first thing I'll ask you is... How about the direct snaps from the quarterbacks or to the running backs? They call it the Wildcat, the Sparky, whatever it is. Have you been part of a game in which you've seen snaps go to so many people other than the QB?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Probably not as frequently as we saw tonight. And I anticipated going into last week's game actually in Boulder that with as banged up as Manny Wilkins was going into that scenario, I thought we would see this volume of Sparky from Arizona State. We really didn't because they've, they've got a lot of faith and confidence in – Manny Wilkins mentally and Mm -hmm. what he can do in reading the defense, getting the the offense into the proper play. And even in talking to the coaching staff this week leading into this game, they felt like looking back at last week, maybe they should have just spread it out and aired it out more. Tonight's game played out more like what I anticipated we would see last week, where especially once Manny Wilkins left the lineup, you got Dylan Sterling Cole, this true freshman, Mm -hmm. goes into the lineup. And to take some pressure off of him, they use the sparky as basically a pressure release where you have – other people handling the ball in the backfield and it ended up being very effective for him.
2: Do you think over the course of a given conference season a team can win like that without a true, uh, I don't want to say not a true quarterback, but multiple guys taking those types of snaps and reps?
0: Right, When when you're not going to be able to have a consistent passing threat that can be difficult, but I believe they can at least have themselves in a position where that threat of other people, you know, being a part of taking the snap from center and being running threats. And what the Sparky package can do is it can give you, you know, some multiplicity with with how you can threaten the defense with the run game because there's that additional blocking surface that having that runner behind center just allows for you. And so I think overall, while, you know, the growth of Dylan Sterling Cole is at one level right now because, you know, we always have to remember He was the scout team quarterback for the bulk of this season. And so just these last couple of weeks is where he's gotten sort of the varsity snaps and really gotten in tune with this game plan, not a guy who was here with the team back in the spring. So I believe week by week they'll be able to increase – not really just the the package of plays that are in the game plan, but they'll get more and more comfortable with calling some of these additional plays with how he'll operate both in the pocket and outside the pocket because there were a few things where we saw them with some sprint action, some bootlegs that utilized his mobility. And I think when you have him reading half the field, then his decisiveness can even pick up that much more.
2: What would you say the turning point of this game was? On paper, wow, 37-32. It was a close one. But in reality, it seems like once Washington State took the lead, the Cougars were in control, especially with that 100-yard kickoff
0: return. Uh, Brett, I think that definitely was one of the turning points in the first half when you know special teams in, in their coverage game sort of let down Arizona State in that in a situation where they're leading the game at that point, let Washington State back into the contest. And from there, I think the chess match took over a little bit where talking to Keith Patterson, ASU's defensive coordinator, he said, we're going to heat up the pocket, especially whether they go empty or when they're in these spread sets we're going to try to beat up the quarterback. And they did that tonight. They sacked Luke Falk seven times. He took a lot of very big hits. So overall, I think the defense executed that portion to a degree that they wanted to. They got a lot of pressure on the quarterback. What they did, though, was miss opportunities. There were a lot of takeaways they had the ability to get. There was a fumble on the ground in the second half that Tayshawn Smallwood had a shot at. In the red zone. In the red zone, exactly. And then at least two interceptions that were dropped just going directly through the hands of defensive backs. So there were at least two three takeaways that ASU could have and maybe should have come away with in this game that could have just turned the tide.
2: You mentioned that, uh, yeah, really, I'm going to say the defense was a tale of two sides. The defensive line played very well, but your defensive guy, the tackling, has been shoddy. I'm going to say it's been shoddy throughout, and that certainly was the case tonight.
0: And it's difficult, especially with these spread offenses. Like, we look back at the Texas Tech game, the Cal game. The difference with those spread attacks, and they're both air raid teams, but more tempo than what you see from Washington State. And so where Arizona State was able to have more success against Washington State tonight is because Wazoo really isn't a tempo team, and so it can allow you snap by snap to put the defense, you know, Keith Patterson, Todd Graham, to sort of move the pieces around in a way that can still allow them to attack the pocket, where it's more difficult to do that against the tempo spread teams. But the missed tackles, it's just you've got these playmakers out in space, and they're one-on-one, and where there were moments where so many defenders swarmed to the football and they were able to be effective. But those one-on-one opportunities are very difficult. There were some situations where Laiu Makiola made a couple of nice one-on-one tackles in space, but they were still, as you referenced, but a lot of other missed opportunities you know where maybe tackles could have been made for you know short gains or no gain, and then you just had that run-after-catch from Wazoo.
2: And Anthony, I will ask you the final question on the other side. Luke Falk, very impressive, solid signal caller, and he certainly is a key to the Washington State success moving
0: forward. They're unbeaten in the Pac-12. Without a doubt, you start to look forward towards the Apple Cup, you know, now that both Washington and Washington State are 4-0 and in Pac-12 play, and so you look at that North Division, they've basically separated themselves from the pack and. You know, of course, the goal for both of them would be to maintain that undefeated conference record going into the Apple Cup, closing out the regular season, and that could make for a titanic clash. But the health of Luke Falk will be part of that equation because I think as defenses look at the game plan that was here tonight, you know, they've got Oregon State in their next contest. Is that something where Gary Anderson says, maybe we bring additional heat and just see if Luke Falk coming off of a banged up game that he just faced versus uh, Arizona State's defense, maybe they just say, we'll try to beat him up and just see if we can make him more gun-shy in the pocket.
2: That's Anthony Heron. He just called the Washington State victory over ASU 37-32. And Anthony,
1: regardless of the sport, it's always great to see you in Tempe.
0: Always great to see you, Brad. I appreciate you having me on.
1: So that exact same crew is going to be calling the game uh, in Oregon and you've said that you expected it to be uh, wild. And my question to both of you is does a wild game does a wild game ultimately hurt Arizona State in that these aren't exactly uh, ref crews that you can depend on uh, to, to get everything right. Now, now there were a couple of calls in in the game against Washington State, none as egregious as the fifth down from the 2015 game sure. up in Pullman, but there were a couple of calls that were real head-scratchers, and now they're headed to Oregon. And If you remember that Arizona State-Oregon triple overtime uh-huh. game last year that ultimately ASU never should have been in that position because they should have been running the ball and they gave up on it. Uh, but also um, there were two there was one missed call and one blown call uh, that absolutely killed Arizona State in that game and, and led them to, to losing um, and ultimately to, uh, to uh, uh, I think the season would be talked about a little bit different if they uh-huh. had beaten Oregon. Um, but does a, does a wild game with a lot of unpredictability, does that favor Oregon or does that favor Arizona State? I think it actually favors Oregon because they're the home team, and
2: I think they're going to come out with that mentality of we've got nothing to lose. We're just going to swing. They're an opponent. They're the pretty boys from that sunshiny state, and we play up here in the rain. I, I think a crazy game favors the home team. It's not to say that they're going to win.
3: I just think a crazy game favors the home team with a losing record. I think a crazy game favors Arizona State right now just because that chaos that we saw offensively um, for the Sun Devils, not knowing who's going to take a snap, we've been through it now. So we can't get much crazier. Like we don't, like we really don't know who's taking these snaps next. We really don't. It could be Chase Lucas. It could be anybody. We've seen Jack Smith, a converted, recruited, safety, wide receiver, everything else except quarterback to take a snap and throw a 40-yard pass.
1: Right, and I mean, so and I, I fully expect that play to, to remain installed in some way, shape, or form. Um, and, and we'll see what happens. Let's get into predictions. I'll tell you right now, I said before the season, Colorado would snap its streak against ASU, and ASU would snap its streak against Oregon. And I still believe that to be true, or at least I have to stick with it where I have no integrity. Oh. Um, and, uh, and, and I'll get called out by Todd Graham in a post-game handshake. Uh, with live audio, so um, i as of right now, uh, on the season, um, I believe I'm 7-1 and one in predictions, with two of my predictions being kind of weak, qualified predictions, saying, like, this has to happen in order for them to win. Last week, I said Manny Wilkins had to have 50 yards rushing or it wasn't going to happen. Obviously, Manny Wilkins did not have 50 yards rushing. He didn't even take 15 snaps, so, um, that uh, that did not go but up until that point he had hurled the defender he had made some plays with his feet and it, and it was it was looking pretty good um but I, I have to stick with what I said before the season I do believe this is the year that the streak ends up in autumn, uh and this will be the first Arizona State team that has beaten Oregon since Andrew Walter was at the helm and Terrell wow. Suggs uh was was beating up on duck quarterbacks so um I'm I'm going with Arizona State cuz I got to stick with uh with what I had said before. What do you guys think?
2: 34 20 Sun Devils. I think they come in with a solid plan. I think they execute the plan. I think for the first time in a while they will leave a game healthy or at least as healthy as they were going into that contest. I think this is a good clean solid road win.
3: Yeah, I think ASU is getting this uh, win for sure. Um you know, I think I don't know, I'm going to take them with a 10-point victory.
1: 10-point victory? Yeah.
3: It's as simple as this.
1: Oregon's starting a freshman. Mm-hmm. You're going to be blitzing that freshman, which means he's going to be getting the ball out quick, which means your defensive backs and your outside linebackers have to tackle. If they tackle, they win. Yep. Let's yeah, <laughs> the tackling has to, has to improve. Yeah, and yeah. The tackling cannot be a full-season narrative. You have to see improvement, or or this is the type of team that won't stand pat, and you'll likely see changes get made. And you you you'd hate to see it happen because of something so fundamental um, that that is at this point probably cost you games. Uh, and 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 you you want to get to the point where you have the relief of at least being ball eligible, because who knows what might happen? I mean, chili you talked to Bryce Perkins. You know, he's, he's doing some exercises, getting that neck brace off,
3: he's... <laughs> you know, I, no, you're right, I, I, I did talk to Bryson. Uh, he's gonna be, you know, he's in good health right now, and he is getting the neck brace off soon. He's gonna be running and throwing. Um, I don't personally expect him to be taking snaps this year, but, but, I said the same thing about Brady White. I said the same thing about Dylan Sterling Cole. I said the same thing about Jack Smith. So, I do not know what to expect.
1: All right. Well, one thing we can all hope for is uh, less Fred Gamage throwing passes. That's true. Yikes. we will see you after the game. Thanks for listening to the Devil's Junkie Podcast. I'm Ralph Amson. And for Chili and Brett Quintine, let's get a win.
0: I was living in a devil town.
1: Didn't
0: know it was a devil town Oh Lord, it really brings me down About the devil town